What up, everybody? How y'all doing? I hope y'all feeling good. This is Bring the Noise Podcast, and I am your host, Straight the Clipper, and we are in the house for another episode, another week. We keep it going because that's what we do. Shout out to everybody that be listening. I appreciate it. I appreciate everyone's support and the feedback. It's amazing. And yeah, guess what we doing this week, y'all? We coming at you this week. With no album review, no, 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 no. We coming at you with our second artist review, that's right. The first one was third base. Kind of a while ago now, so I figured I was going to hit y'all with another one. Guess who we doing on this artist review? We are doing the dynamic duo. The one, the only, Kid and Play. That's right, y'all, Kid and Play coming at you this week with an artist review and man what can i say about kid and play that hasn't already been said about how impactful they have been in hip-hop they are by far one of the most recognizable duos even though most of their success came in the late 80s early 90s but i mean whether it's their music the movies the cult classic house party series that they uh were a part of and basically the face of to the cartoon that they had to everything we're going to be going through it all today and we're going to cover the careers of kid and play and what they did for hip-hop and just you know i mean it can't be overstated how impactful this group really was you know remember they were a squeaky clean group you know even though play has stated he hates the term squeaky clean but they were a rap group much like some others that i've stated uh in the past few episodes like heavy d and everything that uh was able to bring hip-hop to the mainstream and that parents were parents of uh caucasian people were cool you know listening letting their kids listen to and Kid and Play, a lot like Heavy D, also had respect from their peers. They had respect in the hip-hop community because at their core, they were good MCs. You know, Kid is a good MC. He's a good lyrical dude, you know, and they, because they didn't curse, sometimes they got clowned on, but you can't overlook uh, how they were as entertainers, um, whether, like I said, whether that's their music or movies they they were loved by everybody you know their dance the kickstep is one of the most you know influential dances still done to this day you know what i mean you think of kid and play you think of kids high top fade you think of the kickstep if you're not thinking of their movies first you know what i mean so we're gonna do this kind of like how we did with third base we're gonna go through each member first so i'm gonna start with kid and then we'll hit play and then we'll go from there and how they started the group and then we'll do the career of kid and play um that way and that's so similar to what we did with third base basically 
Anyway, on that note, let's start it off, and we're going to start with Kid. His real name is Christopher Reed, and he was born in the Bronx, New York. He had a Jamaican father and an Irish mother, so his mother was white, his dad was uh, Jamaican, African-American, and... Kid has stated that in his early life, in other interviews, Kid has done tons of interviews, kind of like MC Surge did with Third Base. Kid is the one that uh, has given the most information, and so has Play, because they they do a lot of interviews together as well. So, um, but Kid has always been the more uh, eccentric, uh, talking, you know, just Kid's his own person for sure, you know. So we're going to just start with him. So like I said, he was born in the Bronx uh, to his mother and father. So when he was coming up, he always said his dad was like a weekend dad. His dad was there, but he spent most of his time with his mother growing up. And he said life was really good with his mom. You know, uh, unfortunately, his mother's side of the family had basically disowned her because she had had a child with an African-American man. And so kids said he never really knew his mother's side of the family, like those grandparents, whatever, because they looked at him like he was a mistake. And his mom was basically like, all right, whatever, fuck y'all. I'm going to be with my kid. He was cool with his dad, but, you know, he'd see his dad on the weekends, every other weekend, something like that. And that's just how it was. And he lived in a predominantly white um area and never really had too many problems he said uh so kid lived with his mom uh full time uh till he was nine years old and then his mother had died in a car accident and he survived and he said that was a pivotal point in his life not just because his mom died but that's when his life really really changed It was after that he went to go live with his father for, you know, full time, basically. And as he always jokes, he says, that's when my life got a lot blacker, (laughs) is what he says. So, you know, he went from this predominantly white area he lived in with his mom, you know, not really facing too much. He moved with his dad and his dad you know, was a little bit more strict, you know, he always said he was a Jamaican strict father, and his dad wanted better for him, so he had moved to Staten Island. Kid said he absolutely hated Staten Island, even though they were in a predominantly white neighborhood, because he, the way he stated it is, even if you have a little black in you, they don't like you, and so he faced a lot of racism in Staten Island, and Uh, Just really did not like going to school there. And eventually, he moved to Queens, New York. He said when he moved to Queens and he went to a more African-American neighborhood, that's when he started to feel the embrace of... uh, Because like he said, that they were like, hey, you know, you got some black in you, you're cool with us. And he said uh, by moving moving to Queens and then being around his father and his father's family, they embraced him fully. He says he remembers taking trips to Jamaica, um, and he's like, I had to get used to the way they talked because I could never 
understand what they were saying. He said they, you know, they'd be like, oh, the bone no cost, not bad, not little uh, white boy, you know, whatever. And he'd be like, sure, whatever you say, you know, type thing. And um, so he said that, but but by going with his dad, he got closer with his dad, and he got closer to uh, his what his identity he said he was always kind of torn between like i'm not accepted by white people and you know i was not really in an african-american setting until he moved to queens and that's when he said everything got set off that's when he first started hearing park jams like a lot of mcs in the 70s uh started hearing these you know hip-hop for the first time you know Kid was born in uh, April 5th, 1964, so by the, you know, 70s, mid-70s, you know, he's a teenager, uh, and because his uh, mom had died in 73, so, you know, that's nine. By the time he's getting to the late 70s, mid-late 70s, you know, he's an impressionable teenager, and he always stated that he had no style. He just had this big old afro, these Coca-Cola glasses, but he loved hip-hop. And he would uh, start writing his own and would go to these park jams and sometimes get on the mic and he'd be able to rock the crowd for a little bit. But he's like, as, as for the way I looked and everything, it still wasn't there. And Kid was always involved with his school. He's a very intelligent person, always has been, even into their rap career. Um, and so, you know, he was always good in school. He always had a wide vocabulary, and but he just loved hip-hop, and he started getting into hip-hop. And it was during these park jams that he met Play. And we're not going to skip to Play just yet because uh, Play tells a story about hearing this, like, monstrous voice on the mic and him and his crew going to see who it is, and all of a sudden they see Kid. And they're like, well, this guy's got the voice, but man, he don't look the part at all. You know what I'm saying? And uh, they, But they liked him, and they thought he was cool as hell. And eventually, Kid had formed his own group and uh, started, you know, basically doing shows. And he went by, well, I mean, Park Jam still. Not necessarily shows. They would be like, uh, the way Park Jams would kind of go is it was like, you would duel other crews and basically who could rock the crowd the best and this that and at the time his rap name was kid cool out and that's that's the group that he uh that he went by or that's the name that he went by and he was in a rival crew opposed to play actually and he was in a crew called the turnout brothers and it was him and some other guys and they would do these little you know they They'd go to Park Jams, and their rival crew was actually uh, pl- one of Play's groups, or the group that Play was in. So he always says that they weren't, they didn't hate each other. It was more of a friendly competition. Like they all kind of knew each other. Play was ca- part of a different group, and I'm gonna stop that right there because now they're getting into this, and we're gonna go to Play real quick. Okay, so we'll leave that where it's at. We'll get back once Play gets back into where they meet each other so now we go to play and 
play's name is Christopher Martin. That's right, they're both named Christopher. It's kind of funny. And uh, he was uh, born July 10th, 1962, so he's a year older. And again, so we heard how Kid's upbringing was like. For the most part, yes, he faced adversity. Obviously, his mother passed away, which uh, had a very big impact on his life, but him he always had the support and love from his dad and his dad's side of the family even if his mom's side didn't have him and for the most part like he always says you know growing up you know things are pretty cool yeah sure i had some stuff that had happened but nonetheless like it it wasn't so bad play's upbringing is completely absolutely 100 percent different from kid okay play had a rough upbringing okay to say the least and uh play was uh from queens he was born in queens new york and he his in his interviews when he tells his part of the story it's definitely much different so play says that he grew up um and his dad was in and out of prison most of the time um what he saw around him was the crime life. He was kind of a knucklehead himself. And um, he tells these stories about how people used to come to his school when he was, and he laughs and says, when I was actually at school, the few times I was there, he remembers these, you know, people would come in, lawyers, doctors, whatever, and try to tell them, like, you know, what you want to be when you grow up. And he said he could never really see eye to eye with them because he's like I don't know what that's like what he ended up gravitating to was the black uh, exploitation films because that's what he saw in his daily life pimps pushers you know knucklehead stuff like that and you know he always said when these people would come to talk to him at school he's like I can't get with that because they're not talking about when you flip the lights on and seeing hundreds of roaches scatter you know, they're not telling me about their dad being in and out of prison and not having enough food to, you know, for the week or whatnot and struggling and, you know, all this, that and whatever. You know, his mom worked her to the, to the bone uh, for them while Pops was, you know, out there doing some shit. And he tells a story about his dad. You know, this is uh, what left an impression on a young play is uh, the respect that his dad would get throughout the community and that he would get on top of it, right? So he tells a story one time about how his dad went to jail for robbing a bank or went to prison. And it happened to be the prison that his mom worked, or it happened to be the bank that his mom worked at. He got caught and that kind of like spread throughout the neighborhood about how his dad had robbed a bank and he saw the respect and everything that his dad was getting in the streets that he would also get he says he remembers going to like gas stations or like you know corner stores to get something and they'd look at him and be like hey you know that's that skull's uh a uh, little kid and he said his dad was always bald so that was the uh, nickname that they had given his dad or they or he said they called him skelp one of the t- you know whatever anyway he said he remembers being in this candy store and people were whispering like you know you know who that is that you know that's a little skull that's a little scalp you know kid you know that's that's his kid and he said he got free candy and that that had left 
such an impression on him like man i'm getting free candy because of my dad's rep and that immediately you know on an impressionable young kid you're like well shit look at all this respect you know that he gets and play even says he has dumb as it sounds he actually at one point in his life wanted to go to prison so he could get that rep so he could get even more of a rep uh in the streets of you know him being hard he went to prison and so play tells about how he really was a stick-up kid he said him and his friends would get together wait till nighttime and then they would either you know snatch people's purses or you know do whatever stick-up kid right and he tells the story uh um what made him finally change his ways now during this time of being a stick-up kid he tells the story um that a rap group was coming to town i don't know if it was houdini or who it was uh maybe grandmaster flash furious five nonetheless that they're like okay well we want to go to this concert we got to put in that work tonight to get to get some money and by putting in the work they're gonna stick someone up and he talks about this sawed off shotgun that he has or that he had and um he's like you know uh, we got the sawed-off shotgun ready. He's like, one thing about this gun is it had a hair trigger. You barely had to tap it, and it would go off. And this particular night, Play said he decided not to load the shotgun for some odd reason. Even though his homies were like, "Yo, why aren't you putting no bullets in the shotgun? He's like, nah, we won't need it. So they set up shop, and they were hiding in the bushes, and they saw this old lady get off the bus, and they were like, all right perfect target we'll go stick her up take her purse we'll get the money hopefully it's enough to get tickets for this show now play says during this time stick up uh, stick up kids were a huge thing and you either had one or two different people either they just give you their shit or they'd fight back because sometimes the gun that people would have sometimes it wasn't real sometimes they didn't have anything at all and you as the person would have to try to make the judgment call like am i going to fight back do i think this is fake or am i going to get shot well play says this lady uh did not back down and she fought back and she had hit him with she had an umbrella and when she hit him with the umbrella his shotgun that he had in his hands went up to her face and went off and it didn't have any bullets in it though. And Play said right then and there he knew there was some divine intervention that had stopped him from putting bullets in because if bullets would have been in that gun, you know the rest. This woman would have not been there anymore, right? So he said that, and not just that, uh, he said some other things, uh, and this was an interview that Play did. And he said that, he, he named two things that really did it. He said there was other factors too, but that was one. And he said there was another one where he had went to trade the, the sawed-off shotgun for a snub nose. Um, and so he had traded the, the gun, got a couple 38s back, and some money for it. And so he had all this money, and he decided to jump the, you know, when you go to the subway, you got to pay to get in. And he jumped the, the little barrier or whatever, even though he had all this money and he got caught by the, the transit cop, right? So he said he's sitting there like, fuck, I got these guns, I got this money, they catch me with this, that's a wrap. Like, you know, 
I'm going to prison for sure. And he said he remembers the security guy like giving him what he called like a Martin Luther King speech about how you got to change your ways. You should be in school. What are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And he goes, I should, I should call the cops and turn you in. But there's something about you that, you know, there's just something about you that I'm not going to do that. I think, you know, um, you need to get to school, though, because plays like I had this backpack and he thought I had books in there. But I didn't. I had guns and money. And then he said he kind of started giving him another speech again and was like, I should throw you up against the wall, search your bag, and search everything. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to let you go. And I want you to get your, you know, your fucking act together, basically. And plays like, in those two particular instances, those left an impression on him that he was like, man... Either I would have killed this lady and been in prison for uh, homicide, or I would have got caught with all these guns and money, and that would have been, at a minimum, you know, five to ten years right there or something, you know? And he says, if any of those two situations would have went down differently, uh, I wouldn't be here talking with any of you guys right now, you know? And so that's what really kind of started changing him to try to do better and he kind of turned his focus to hip-hop and so when he started at first he said he always wanted a cool hip-hop name so he had come up with chris c all right but he's like "Mm, something about that ain't right because you say it too fast it sounds like chrissy and he's like i didn't like that so what he was doing on the side now instead of sticking kids up uh play always had style okay he always had, he always looked fresh. He used to do this thing where he would paint, you know, things on jeans. Like, this used to be really big in the 80s, you know, late 70s, um, where he would, like, basically, if someone wanted a design or something on their pants, he would do the design, but he wanted to leave a trademark. Well, he always liked the Playboy bunny, right? So he would put the Playboy bunny to let people know if they saw these person's pants and they wanted it too, they'd be like, oh, who is that done by? Playboy. So that's what he ended up adopting as his name was Playboy. That was his street name, his rap name, and all that good stuff, you know? And so it's funny because he tells stories about how drug dealers would come up to him and be like, hey, we want this, we want our pants, you know, we want this emblem on it or whatnot. How long is it going to take you? And he'd be like, well, you know, it's going to take like, you know, three, four weeks. I got people ahead of you. And he said he would charge like 50 cents a letter. Okay. Well, they'd throw him like $200 and be like, all right, well, you're doing ours first. And play says he would like basically be going around trying to avoid these guys because he wouldn't have it done yet. And he goes as sad as it is and kind of funny though He's like, usually a lot of them would end up going to prison, so he never had to worry about getting it done, and he'd get this little extra cash on the side, and that would just be the end of it, you know? But even from an early age, uh, that's the difference between kid and play. You know, play was a knucklehead, a a stick-up kid, but he always had that, you know, he always looked fresh to death, you know what I mean? Like, he always was fly he always had women, people wanted to be around him, like, dude just had it going on, you know? 
as opposed to Kid, who is kind of dorky looking, you know? And so the group that Play ended up being in was called the Quicksilver Super Lovers. It was him, Playboy, Herbie Lovebug, which uh, Herbie Lovebug is going to play an extremely instrumental role later in this story. Um, we'll get to that when we get to that. But And then another guy named Romeo. So if you say the, you know their names... They were the super lovers, Playboy, Herbie Lovebug, Romeo. So their names went with it, everything. It was, you know, a pretty cool group, you know. And then obviously they looked fresh to death because he was doing graffiti images on their clothes. And, you know, looking dope as fuck, right? So um, in the end, it's the same thing. So they would go to these same park jams. And like I said, they saw Kid... And they kind of had like a friendly rivalry, basically. And they would see each other and they were all friends. So it, they might do these shows and battle or, you know, what whatnot. And then after the show, they'd all hang out. And that's what they said uh, pretty much started bringing Kid and Play together as they were part of the same friend group. So now this is where we'll start to journey into their careers together. So now... They're, they're doing shows, they're, you know, rival crews, but in a friendly way, and this is where it really starts to set it off for Kid and Play, right? So, throughout the time of doing these shows and this, that, whatever, uh, people just kind of ended up in both different groups going their separate ways, whether that was, hey, I got kids now, I got to get a job, or, you know, I got an opportunity over here and this, that, and whatever. And eventually, all that was left was Kid and Play. Kid Cool Out, Playboy. So one thing that Kid says Play always helped him out with was his image. You know, he was like, look, you, you got to take those glasses off. We got to find you, you know, better gear, this, that, and whatever. And they helped each other out in different ways. So Kid tells a story that he always finds funny, and Play told the same story too. Is basically, Kid would help Play out when it came to like schoolwork or just, you know, trying to speak better, even. And Play would help Kid out with being like, hey, I'm gonna teach you how to talk to the ladies, how to look cool, what to say, what, how to dress, you know, just all around make your appearance look better and this is why they were such a good duo even from the beginning uh kid tells a funny story about how uh one time play came over to uh to his house and plays told the same story too and they were watching jeopardy and plays like i swear to god every answer kid was getting right that's how smart this dude was he was just rifling off answer after answer after answer so one day play says hey you know, I want you to teach me how to speak better. I want to speak better. I kind of want to speak like you because Kid has a very, you know, wide vocabulary and spoke pretty, like, really good. And so Kid's, like, looks at him like, are you sure you want me to do that? And Play's like, yeah. And Kid's like, are you sure? And Play says he was starting to get mad like, yeah, motherfucker, I told you that's what I wanted. And he goes, okay. So Play's like, I'm expecting him to give me this big word and tell me what it means. And Kid goes, you say breakfast wrong. You say breakfast. He's like, it's breakfast. It's breakfast. 
not breath fast or whatever. And Play said he was like, motherfucker, I thought you was going to give me a like a good word. You just telling me I'm pronouncing shit wrong, you know, and like uh, and so it, it's, it's just kind of funny the way the the two really just clicked, even though they were from completely different worlds. They helped each other. And this was the case their whole career, literally. And so once the crews d- dissolved and it was just them, they went by the name of the Fresh Force crew. And um, while they were with the Fresh Force crew, they just they started doing some recordings and uh, um, made two songs. And I believe Kid has said this is around like the 85, uh, 86 spot and so the two songs they did was a song called she's a skeezer and rock me okay and this was on sutra Records. so they got a little record deal after there was just those two left and here's the problem play has said this before that within the tri-state area the songs did really well and that's you know jersey new york you know all around like the you know Boston all around that area basically it those two songs did good but the thing that MCs would do back then to try to get on is they would either do a parody of a song or they would battle someone or whatnot you know to get on and so the thing is she's a skeezer is basically my Adidas from from Run DMC same beat and anything and kid even says you know if you can go find these songs on youtube you go on you know they come in like she's a skeezer you know you know going over the same beat as my adidas well rock me was basically amadeus they they did an amadeus cover pretty much over that song and like the real melly mel type rapping where they're like you know and basically they're like the songs were good but they kids like I, it wasn't us, you know, it just wasn't us. We were emulating other groups and sure, the songs did OK, but eventually they got dropped off of the record. Now, around this time, Play's old friend, Herbie Lovebug, insert him back into the story, had started um, basically producing and managing salt and Peppa. Well, Salt and Peppa started all of a sudden gaining a lot of traction. Their entrance was by battling. They battled Dougie Fresh and Slick Rick with a song called The Showstopper. And Herbie Lovebug was kind of the brains behind everything. If anyone's seen the Salt and Peppa movie, you know, you'll see that in, in Kid and Play Salt and Peppa, they'll always say Herbie Lovebug was the brains behind everything when it came to what was going on so one day uh kid or play or whatever had kind of reached out to herbie and they were like you know we we kind of want to try this this too you know because you seem to be doing really good with salt and pepper well we want to get on too now again when it comes to salt and pepper they were also friends of kid and play fun fact they all worked at Sears at one point in time, okay? So before this hip-hop shit with salt and Peppa uh, kicked off, Kid worked at Sears, Play worked at Sears, salt and Peppa worked at Sears, and uh, uh, Martin Lawrence 
who used to work across the street at the gas station, eventually got fired, also worked at Sears, and Herbie Lovebug worked at Sears. So maybe not all at the same time, as they say, but they all worked there at one point in time, and they all either got fired or quit eventually. And Kid says he remembers working there and how much he just hated it there. He absolutely hated it. Play hated it. They all hated it. And then once they saw that Herbie Lovebug had started to gain some traction with salt and Peppa, they were like, we need to reach out to him and see if he can put us on. And Herbie was down 100%. He's like, absolutely. He's like, y'all come in. We'll figure this out. And, well, you know, we'll, we'll make something happen, basically. And so, and that, and like, again, Herbie Lovebug, dude was a kind of a genius when it came to a lot of this stuff. You know, he ended up forming basically um, like a bad boy or a juice crew of their own, but like they called themselves the idol makers. You had Dana Dane, Salt and Peppa, Sweet Tea, Antoinette, Kwame, Kid and Play. Um, that's what eventually would come from this. And we'll get there when we get there, but that's just a little knowledge for you from how impactful Herbie Lovebug is, right? So Herb's like, yeah, absolutely, let's make something happen. And it was during this time that they decided, you know, their, their group name sounded a little outdated. And they thought about what else can they call themselves, you know, and that's when they came up with Kid and Play. And that's how the name Kid and Play eventually um, started, just like that. So it went from Kid Cool Out uh, with the Turnout Brothers. You had Playboy with the Quicksilver Super Lovers. Eventually, those dissolved. They came together with the Fresh Force crew. And then eventually, they shortened it all up and became Kid and Play. And so they started recording. And the first single that they had recorded and got done that was on select records was a song called last night now when it comes to the group kid does all of the writing he is he always says that everyone played a a part in the whole group when it came to play he always did like the cover art the album art he made the jackets that salt and pepper were wearing you know he was again when it comes to fashion play was that dude you know, when it came to writing rhymes, that was Kid's part. When it came to the business part, that was Herb, you know. And then they also brought their good friend DJ Wiz on, and DJ Wiz was pretty or was a part of Kid and Play too. So anyway, last night, fun song, and Play said he just what they decided to do, you know, like I said with She's a Skeeza and Rock Me, they were being something they're not kid said he decided to go back to the drawing board and just be them so last night is about a double date that play and kid go on with these two ladies and kid was like i was just rapping about what we normally did we would do that you know and that's what he decided to write well that single ended up doing really good and that's what got them the deal and was able to get their first album going which their first album is too hype. So last night was in 87. So now we're in 88. Two hype drops in 88 to an uh, an outstanding outstanding numbers. Okay? This album went gold. All right. Last night was good, but what really set it off on this album uh 
was the song Rollin' with Kid and Play. And Kid even says when they got done making that song, first off, Herbie always liked go-go music, so um, he had done that stuff on salt and Peppa, so he knew that Herb was going to want to do something go-go, and so Kid had found the sample, and they made Rollin' with Kid and Play, and he even said, he's like, if that isn't a fucking hit, then I need to stop doing what I'm doing and just go back to the drawing board and figure out what I'm going to do with the rest of the lo- my life because if Rolling With Kid and Play is not a hit, then I don't know what I'm doing. Well, much to everyone's, uh, or not much to everyone's surprise, Rolling With Kid and Play was a fucking hit. This album was a smash. It had tons of singles. Uh, it had Do This My Way, Getting Funky. Last Night was obviously the first one two hype you know five singles off this album and it was a smash and this is also where uh people this is where the kick step comes in all right they're dancing so kid always said that he wasn't much of a dancer and neither was play but they took a lot from the rap group houdini and houdini would always have these dances that they would do you know, they always looked really fly. They'd do their song, and then they'd break into, like, a routine, and it always looked really cool as fuck. And so they were like, we need to do something like that. We need to do something that stands out. And so they basically, uh, they didn't invent it. They A lot of the kick step comes from uh, dancing in the 20s and stuff like that. But uh, nonetheless, the kick step which was showed uh, at the end of Getting Funky, um, That's I, it just set it off. I mean, from there on out, this dance just got bigger and bigger, and both of them have said the reason they think the dance is so monumental is because it takes two people, and it's something that you can do to celebrate. If you're wondering what the kickstep is, I just look it up if you haven't seen it. I mean, it's so big. There was a State Farm commercial back in the day where LeBron James is doing the kickstep with uh, one of his homies, you know, while while they're listening to Kid and Play. Um, the kickstep is by far one of the most popular dances to come out of hip-hop. By far. It's fun to do, even if you're not good at it. It's just, it's fun, you know? And so Kid and Play would practice these dances because they're like, we didn't have backup dancers. So at shows, we needed to stand out and we needed to entertain the crowd somehow. So that's when they created their own routines, their own dances and everything. And it just took off from there on top of one of Kid's main trademarks. So the kickstep for Kid and Play and the fashion was obviously one of their main things, thanks to both of them. But what stood out out of the group was Kid's high top fade, okay? Kid had this fucking massive high top fade that at one point was seven fucking inches long. Like, I kid you not. You know, you look at Too Hype in those videos, it's pretty small at that point. This motherfucker just kept going. And, you know, it's literally a trademark of Kid and Play, no doubt about it. It, when you think of them, you, some people have said, oh, is that that one guy that has the, the eraser hair? You know, the eraser head or the whatever it is. I'm like, yep, you know it. That's Kid and Play, you know. And so in 88, they're, they're coming out. Their dances are good. Their singles are good. Too Hype goes gold. 
Uh, you know, they're getting recognition. Kids High Top Fade is getting recognition. They're looking fresh to death. They're rolling with Herbie Lovebug, Salt and Peppa, the Idol Makers, making some noise. Herb just hit twice now. He launched Salt and Peppa, and now he launched Kid and Play, right? So this is where their popularity started to take off, and they started doing shows. Now, one of the funniest things to me, and that both of them have said is funny, they would always go on tours with Public Enemy. Chuck D really liked Kid and Play, and he would always reach out to Kid and Play to bring them on tour. Kid says the reason he thinks so is because it would open the doors for some places that might not let hip-hop in. Because Kid and Play would be on the act, they could get more shows. So they used Kid and Play to their advantage, and Kid and Play were more than willing to definitely help knock down those doors to get in. So... Here's a tour they were on one time, right? You got Public Enemy, you got NWA, you got Kid and Play, and Digital Underground are with them, right? So there's that that scene or that legendary story uh, about NWA where they're not supposed to perform Fuck the Police and they do it anyway, right? And then they get arrested afterwards. Uh, Kid and Play were on that tour. They say, like, in the movie when they're doing that, he's like, yeah, we were on that tour. And, like, so it seems funny. It's like, and Kid makes a joke out of it. He's like, you know, you got public enemy. You got the world's most dangerous group, NWA. And then there's Kid and Play. You know, and this is how he said it in one of his interviews with uh, Talib Kweli. It was funny as fuck. Definitely go check that out. Um, But, so... They would be on these tours, and this is how they got tight, you know, with NWA, and they got tight with these quote-unquote hardcore artists because Chuck D would reach out to them. This is also where a lot of their funny stories with Tupac come in, too, because Tupac was a backup dancer for Digital Underground, so he was just starting out, and Play says a lot of times everyone else would go do their own thing, and Tupac would roll with Kid and Play, right? And that they would go to these uh you know clubs afterwards or whatever and the clubs would want kid and play to rap and kid says he remembers being like man we just did a show i'm tired i don't want to rap and he says tupac would be like no 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 you guys go up there act like you're gonna rap start it off and then give it to me and let me rhyme and I'll just take it from there because you know Tupac was hungry he was trying to get on so they always joke about how he'd be like no 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 you guys don't have to rap just act like you're going to and then I'll take it from there so they got all these you know funny stories from uh, doing shows with Digital and Tupac being there and NWA and Play tells this funny story about how they even ended up on this tour right so they knew about NWA, obviously, and Play tells the story that a promoter came up to him and like, hey, we got this tour, Public Enemy, and he's like, absolutely, Public Enemy, I'm down. And then he's like, NWA's there too. And Play says, he was kind of like, man, that doesn't really like fit our image though, you know, doing this show with NWA. Well, nonetheless... They, he goes to the guy, he goes, if you can get me two pina, er, two pina coladas from the bar, I'll do the show. 
Well, just recently before, Play couldn't get drinks. The bar was closed. So he's thinking there's no way this dude's going to come back with anything. He says 10 minutes later, a guy comes back with two and a half pina coladas and Play says, I've always been a man of my word, so I had to do the show, and that's how they ended up on that particular tour. Anyway, this is where their careers start to take off even more. So, obviously, too hype, huge. They go into the next year, and which is leading to 1990, you know, 89-90. This is when they're, they're, uh, they're basically approached by a director, a guy who started asking them about doing movies. And they were like, ah, you know, first off, what's up? Who are you? Well, it turns out it's Reggie, it's Reggie Hudlin, the director and writer of House Party. And so they gave him a script and they read it. And kids said before, I've read a lot of scripts and never really dug into it because I didn't really think they were good enough. But this particular script, he pulled uh, Herb and Play to the side because they didn't want to do it. And he goes, I think this script is 70% there and I think we can take it the rest of the way. Now, a funny thing about House Party is New Line Cinema wanted DJ Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince to do this movie, right? But at the time, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince were being sued by another part of New Line Cinema because they had made a song called Nightmare on My Street uh, for Freddy Krueger and sampled it and they were getting sued. So, you know, Will Smith and Jazzy Jeff were like, you want us to do this movie and you're, you're, you're suing us at the same time? Fuck no, we're not doing this movie. So that's that fell through. Then they had Kid and Play. New Line had also been looking at uh, a duo, Groove B Chill, um, who had also uh, tried out for the part. And Kid and Play said they remember going to the studios. Now, New Line was very new at the time. The only thing they were known for were Freddy Krueger movies, right? So they went and auditioned, and Kid's like, it went terrible. He's like, we did terrible. And I just knew that it went bad and we probably weren't going to get it. And one of the executives were like, okay, well, let me just walk you out and, you know, we'll be in touch. Well, apparently, while they were walking outside, school had just let out. And kids says all these kids got out of school, saw them, saw the high top fade. And kids like, it was like the Beatles. They went nuts. They rushed us. There was so many screaming kids around that this executive went back up and was like, yo, we need to get these guys on here. And they were like, why? And he's like, if you would have just saw what I just saw, the hype that these kids had about them, these are our guys. And that's what led to House Party. That's what led to them doing the movie. And they ended up putting Groove B Chill in the movie. They uh, chills the guy that bumps the table when Martin Lawrence is scratching. Uh, um, Groove is the guy that gets drunk that they leave at the uh, at his uh, mother's house, grandmother's house, whatever. And so they brought a lot of people on full force is in this movie. They're an R&B group. They're the guys, you know, I smell pussy, you know, those guys, the big fuckers. Um, which, by the way, they pretty much ad-libbed most of their parts, pretty much, uh, from what I found out. But So House Party drops 
1990, okay? And it's it's a it's a success, you know. They got a lot of people in here. They got Tisha Campbell in here, Robin Harris, got Martin Lawrence. This is his debut in a movie. Obviously, he was friends with them. John Witherspoon is only in here for a little bit, but he has one of the most funny fucking lines in the whole movie. What is this, Public Enemy, Public Enema? You know, uh, George Clinton has a little part in there. Um, so many people were in this movie that went on to have extreme success. And uh, I'm not going to go into the movie so much because I would like to do a review on the movie eventually. But nonetheless, it was a huge success. Like, House Party is considered a cult classic now. And so they were just building. So at the same time, they were like, okay, well, we're going to drop another album. They dropped Funhouse. Uh, the song Funhouse was on the soundtrack to House Party. And this album also went gold and sold extremely well. They had two singles from it, Back to the Basics, and then Funhouse, the house we dance in, obviously. Um, so 1990 was a huge, huge, huge year for uh, uh, Kid and Play. It only got more, they built even more off of what they had done on their first album, and now they had crossed over into movies, and it was a success. I mean... These movies still hold up to this day. House Party is still an amazing movie that still holds up to this day. Also in 1990, they ended up getting a cartoon series. That's right, they were the first rappers to ever have a Saturday morning cartoon, right? That's amazing. That was also in 1990. It was only for a year, and even though they didn't do the voices uh, on the on the actual uh, cartoon um, but Herb was a part of the cartoon DJ Wiz was a part of a car the cartoon and um, yeah it was it, it, I just think it's cool they had a cartoon so all in 1990 they had a movie they dropped an album that went gold and they had a cartoon series from Marvel you know come on now and eventually had a tie-in comic book for it that's insane so we just keep building from there right so that leads us into 1991 well in 91 they decided um that they were going to do a house party 2 so in 91 they released house party 2 which honestly is just as good as the first one if not better the pajama jammy jam is dope once again you got now in this movie you got queen latifah in there right Tisha, or Tisha Campbell's still there and you got Martin Lawrence still in there, you got Cameron no, not the Cameron we know but the white Cameron from the young black teenagers, don't, no, we're not gonna go there right now, and um, yeah, it's just another smash, another you know, movie did great, at the same time they released their last album, that's right, their third album and their last album titled Face the Nation. So I also will say with House Party 2, Full Force was in there again. Um, you had Tony, Tony, Tone in there for doing some music parts. And uh, the soundtrack, once again, was a smash. And then on top of it, that's when they released another album, Face the Nation. So Face the Nation, uh, you could tell, was a little bit different, Okay. Face the Nation, they were still themselves, still their happy-go-lucky, you know, selves, but 
hip-hop was starting to change. And so while they have some cool songs on this album, like Back on Wax, where they're rapping about their movies, their cartoons, all their success, you know, you have other songs like Next Question, where they're literally uh, dissing Vanilla Ice and Luke from Two Live Crew. And some hard beats on there and everything else. And I'm a big fan of this album. It did end up having a smash I mean, arguably one of their biggest songs next to Rollin' with Kid and Play, a song called Ain't Gonna Hurt Nobody, which was also featured on the movie House Party 2 and also on um, uh, the soundtrack. Ain't Gonna Hurt Nobody was an absolute fucking smash. It was number 41 on the top one Billboard Hot 100, okay? Come on now. That's not the rap. That's, that's the Billboard itself. Ain't Gonna Hurt Nobody is my favorite song from Kid and Play. I'm just going to say it right now, okay? This album didn't do as good as the other ones, but it still did well. And I think the reason was is Kid and Play was starting to kind of, you know, they had so much fame all at once from 88 to 91. They now have two, two movies. They have a cartoon series. They have three albums. You know, they're everywhere. This is where sometimes you get too big and you start to get a pullback. And so because their album, you know, they're trying to be kind of hard, but yet still trying to be themselves at the same time, you know, diss another MCs, which by the way, Kid and Play always joke about how they diss Luke and the song Back to Them was a diss song called Pussy Ass Kid and Ho Ass Play. And the kid was like, well, I ain't got nothing for that. We don't even curse. How the hell am I supposed to go back against that? You know, uh, to this day, uh, Kid and Play are totally cool with Vanilla Ice. They're totally cool with Luke from Two Life Crew. So that has since been buried. The only reason they ever got into it anyway is Kid and Play were on a show with Salt and Peppa, and Salt and Peppa were saying how they didn't like groups like Two Life Crew. And I guess they were laughing in the background, and that made Luke say something about him on record. Kid. He responded, and then, you know, uh, Luke responded, and that was the end of it after pussy-ass kid and hoe-ass play. So, uh, anyway, uh, so you had House Party 2, right? You had Face the Nation. This is where their career kind of started to take a little bit of a decline. So we get into 1992. No albums in 92, but they did release another movie, a movie called Class Act. Alright, Class Act is not part of the House Party series at all. It's just a separate movie, but this is another cult classic movie. We're talking three movies in in a span of three years that are smashes. Class Act was funny because uh, Kid and Play have said it's basically their story, and it wasn't written by them. It was legitimately, the way the storyline goes is Kid is a nerd in school, Play is a knucklehead, and they both end up helping each other out. Kid helps uh, Play uh, graduate, and Play helps Kid uh, look better and get the girls. And they said they had so much fun doing it because it was like their real life, which I just think is cool. I think it's awesome. And so, Class Act, amazing movie. Uh, Love that movie just as much as I do any of their house party movies and this is also where kid sheds the high top fade finally okay he said at this point in time he he was over it he said he looked in the mirror and he was like 
I felt like I looked goofy and it was time to cut it much, much to the dismay of the record company and everyone else that was like, no, that's your trademark. But, you know, kids like, I mean, the high top fade isn't even in anymore. You know, at this point in time, it wasn't. So he shed it for, for some braids because that's what was in in 92, 93, 94. You know, the fade was out, you know, and kid was like i just didn't want to do it anymore so he didn't and 1993 uh was kind of a hiatus for them not that they weren't doing anything but they didn't drop any movies they didn't drop any uh um albums and uh this was kind of like a quiet year for them basically and eventually that's what led to 1994 is where House Party 3 came out. So this is the kind of the last of Kid and Play right here, right? House Party 3 is a great movie. It's The trio is amazing. Is it as good as the other two? No, it's not. But again, they introduced more characters. This is Chris Tucker's first time uh, in the movies. This is Bernie's Max first time on the screen. I did forget to mention, okay, so in 93, they did have a movie called Bodyguards, but good luck trying to find anything on it because I couldn't find a fucking thing. The only reason I know that they had it is because they said they did it. And it was a straight-to-video release, so I'm sorry. They did do some stuff in 93, but uh, you can't find that shit anywhere <laughs> anyway. So uh, House Party 3, 94... And yeah, they, you know, this is a great movie. A lot of um, actors in this. Like I said, the only reason Chris Tucker got in this is Martin Lawrence turned it down. He didn't want to do it, which is, you know, fine. And so they were at a comedy club and they saw Chris Tucker and he just decided to reach out to him, basically. And, uh, you know, same thing with the other house parties. You know, House Party 1 had Robin Harris in it, a legendary comic that ended up passing away and so they said they wanted someone like him on house party three and that's where bernie mac came in it's his uncle it's robin harris's uh, uh brother and so he plays the role well play has always said that he was really close with bernie mac and kid was really close with robin harris but again you know you look at all these movies in total, you know, you got Anthony Johnson. He went he went on to be in Friday. Tisha or Tisha Campbell went on to be in Friday. John Witherspoon in Friday. Chris Tucker in Friday. Bernie Mac in Friday. Angela Mende, or Meads, uh, who was in House Party Three. Um, that's that's uh, that that's what's her name in the Friday uh, movie. Uh, Felicia by Felicia. That's that's her. She's a kid's wife in House Party 3. Um, you got, like I said, Queen Latifah, Groovy Chill, Full Force, Cameron, Martin Lawrence, Robin Harris. Man, I mean, there's some stacked-ass people in these fucking movies, dude. Like, it's nuts. And, um, you know, Friday was on New Line Cinema too, so uh, it's never been said, but I feel like, you know, Cube saw these people and was like, man, I got to get these. These are some great amazing actors and i want them on my movie too uh anyway house party three comes out good movie the soundtrack is fucking banging obviously i have it in my top five uh hip-hop soundtracks of all time 
It's also the last time we really hear Kid and Play record together. Um, like I said, they had a bunch of songs on that soundtrack, at least six, where, yeah, it's just, you know, but and it's kind of a, yeah, you know, it's the last time we get to really hear Kid and Play together, and it's kind of the last time we see them together, because after this, everyone kind of goes their own way, not because they were mad or they broke up or anything like that. It was just that's where they wanted to go. They were done, and they wanted to go their own way, basically. So um, after this, Kid went on to do tons and tons and tons of things. Play ended up marrying actress uh, Cherie Headley, who was the woman in Coming to America uh, with Eddie Murphy. So he was married from her uh, from 93 till 95. They had a son together. And it was after this that Play hit some really hard times. He was basically broke. Um, he, But even before he was broke, he had everything. He had this amazing wife. He had all this money and everything else, and he was still contemplating suicide and was just not happy. And it was around this time that he turned uh, to God. And to this day, Play is a devoted Christian and is completely, um, yeah, he's, he's a born-again Christian and focused on Christian hip-hop, and that's just where he brought his life, and he said it was the best thing that could have ever happen to him. And, uh, you know, he you can tell in interviews he is he seems so happy. He now doesn't curse. He doesn't do anything. And it's just funny because the play that we were just talking about, the way he came up, everything, you know, he even said the only reason he got into music was to get women. That was it. You know, but after seeing his dad also become a born-again Christian, he said that that inspired him. Like, if this guy could change his life around and so can I and on the other hand kid he went on to just continue working he made appearances on Martin uh, Martin Lawrence's show he even did the theme music uh, for it for a couple seasons and um, yeah he he was just all over the place he would be he did he had a few times on sister sister uh, he hosted some shows like Your Big Break, It's Showtime at the Apollo, and what he really ended up diving into was stand-up comedy, and to this day, that's what Kid has kind of done. He's done all sorts of other ventures, uh, no doubt about it. He made the theme song for Real Time with Bill Maurer, which is one of his good friends, and he opens up for Bill Maurer in stand-up sometimes. And yeah, he, you know, he's done, he's appeared on a bunch of reality shows and yeah, he's all over the place, you know, whether that's being in stuff, making cameos or doing voiceover work or whatever. Kid has been active in the industry since Kid and Play broke up, even to this day. And he's a hilarious person. Play obviously became a born again Christian. He went on to have a residency at Florida A&M and at uh, uh, some other colleges where they were teaching like hip hop uh, and not just like the music, just hip hop as a culture. So he had been doing that for for some time, actually, especially at, the, the like I said, the Florida A&M University. He had also done some uh, stuff at um, North Carolina Central University. So 
you know, he was still involved in hip-hop. Kid has always still been involved in hip-hop and everything that it's doing. Uh, he now does a stand-up. And, guys, these two still do shows to this day. They are still great friends. They still uh, do interviews together. They perform together. They have, they go on these old-school tours with Vanilla Ice and some other people. And, uh, I mean, again... You can't overlook what Kid and Play did. I mean, they helped bring in the careers of some of the best actors to ever hit. Would Martin Lawrence have probably got had a career without it? Sure he would have, but I mean, being friends with all those guys and getting that role, I mean, one of the funniest people in the House Party franchise, at least the first two, is Martin Lawrence. I mean, he's hilarious in those movies. And, you know, Bernie Mac, and the list goes on of, who they've helped and even music wise like they said salt and pepper helped put them on and then they helped put kwame on and you know this that and whatever and helped you know kid even uh, try to do his own record label for a little bit and you know put other artists on like i said uh, like the ras posse from house party three you know and even that's the premise of the movie in House Party 3, that they own their own record label now, and Sex is a Weapon, a.k.a. TLC, they're trying to sign them, and yeah, it's just from their dance, from their movies, to their music, these guys are iconic. They, it cannot be overlooked how iconic Kid and Play are, and they are legends, dude, they are legends. Don't get it twisted, they may have a squeaky clean image, but Kid is a fucking hellified writer, all right? The boy can spit lyrics. Go listen to those albums. If you don't think he can, go listen to them. I, I just do it. Kid can rhyme. Uh, he can rhyme, okay? He rips that shit. He may have wrote for Play, but you still got to spit it, and Play can do that shit too. Play was fresh. He had to... Everybody wanted to be like Play, all right? You wanted to get the women. You wanted to look fly. You know, that was Play. And they were the best... One of the best duos in hip-hop ever, from finishing each other's verses their movies are so fucking funny both of them being in there and kid even says i knew that the movies were going to be a success they went to go see a screening of it and there's that part where kids being chased all around town by full force and then he sees martin lawrence and play driving by and he's trying to get their attention and you know damn well play saw him but he keeps driving he's like man we got to get to the party uh, they said when they were in the theater, some dude stood up and was like, man, fuck you, play. And they were just started, like, they said they laughed to each other, like, well, he's like, I think this movie's going to be a success. And it has been. Since then, there was a house party for they were not a part of. Um, they turned it down. It has nothing to do with anything in the house party series. Uh, it has immature in it, but they're not even playing who they were in the house party movie so it's like i i don't know really house party 4 we just we let that slide by like it didn't happen they made a cameo in house party 5 from 2013 just a small cameo and just recently a brand new house party series uh or a movie has come out lebron now has lebron james again like i said LeBron's a kid and play fan, so he now owns the rights to the House Party franchise, and he just came out with a House Party movie this year. Kid and Play make an appearance in that movie as well. 
And, uh, yeah, I mean, life is good. You know, this isn't like third base where they're not talking and they hate each other. Uh, Kid and Play are still friends to this day. They And it's, it's awesome. And, I mean, it can't be overlooked how amazing they really are. And um, that's why I wanted to do an artist review. This one's a little bit longer than other ones. Um, long enough, but not to where I wanted to split it into two because I just wanted to keep rolling with it. And, um, yeah, I mean, if you've never dove into the careers of, of Kid and Play, go listen to them. And you know what the best thing is? Is you can listen to their music in front of your, your kids, you know, because they don't curse, but it's still dope. You know, when I'm around kids, uh, I'll throw Kid and Play in because they love it. You know, my, my little homie Isaac, he absolutely loves the song rolling with kid and play every time i see him he goes hola hola hey roll the roll the roll with kid and play now i played that song for him one time he loves it you know what i'm saying uh it's just a beautiful thing and i love kid and play i love their movies i watch their movies uh every year at my birthday that's like a tradition i do and uh yeah and i was really excited to do this and there's still you know go listen to their interviews too there are some things I skipped over. Like I said, I didn't go very in-depth in their movies or their albums because I want to save those for album reviews or movie reviews, you know, hip-hop movie reviews or whatnot. So uh, there's still a lot to touch on those. But as for the careers of Kid and Play, I mean, look at man. They, they came from some shit, especially Play, and they just worked and worked. And with the help of Herbie Lovebug and some others, they they achieved what uh, at that time a lot of rappers were not didn't even they paved the way you know being in movies that were successful there were rappers in movies back in the days but they weren't very successful not like the house party franchise you know that paved the way for the ice cubes and other artists you know even tupac to be in movies you know what i mean and uh yeah it can't be i, I can't stress it enough how how important kid and play are to the franchise of or to just hip-hop in general so oh man that's a lot but it was good and it's dope and as always make sure you click subscribe follow on facebook and instagram at bring the noise podcast man i'm out of breath this is straight the clipper and i am audi 5000 until next week peace <laughs>